Welcome back to What's on Your Mind. I'm Dr. Gene Bresson. And I'm Dr. Steve Schlossman. And we're child psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. Here's what we'll talk about today. So today we're going to talk about a, a kind of difficult subject, um, not difficult to talk about, just difficult to understand. And it's the fact that every kid, from the time they're born, has a kind of unique temperament, a unique personality. And those personalities actually stick with those kids for a long time. Sometimes people call that temperament. Sometimes people will call it personality traits. We all know this. This isn't news. We know this in our siblings. We know this in our children. But understanding that and making sense of it and what we do with that in a clinical setting, well, that's actually what we're going to try and get at today. So we've got a very special guest with us today, and I'm going to let Gene introduce him. So I'm, I'm very pleased to introduce Dr. David Rubin, who is Director of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry Residency Training at Massachusetts General Hospital. So, David, Steve raised a really complicated question. Kids are not blank slates. What does that mean to you? You know, it's it's easy for us to think of the physical characteristics of our children as somewhat predetermined. Uh, it's it's no surprise when two blue-eyed people have a child, that child comes out with blue eyes. And that's pretty easy to wrap your head around, that genes or genetics have already decided this for us. It's not going to be our choice. But it's a little bit more complicated when we think of more abstract elements of ourselves, such as our personality, our temperament, how inclined we are to be social, and then even extremely abstract ideas like our inclination to be spiritual or sometimes even our political affiliations. All of these actually have some heritable component. In general, the accepted figure is that about 60% of our basic temperament has been inherited and is... Well, let, let me ask you, let me interrupt just a second, because both you and Steve have said the word temperament a couple times. What do you mean temperament? Temperament are sort of our default emotional settings that we come into the world with. Uh, to use the language of our technological companions, when you restore to the factory defaults, this is, this is what you get. <laughs> it's the basic inclination of how we respond emotionally towards surprises, how likely we are to interpret something new as threatening or potentially exciting. Um, there are other elements of our temperament, such as our rhythmicity, how regular we are in our appetites and when we sleep. All of these kind of core components of our character, our personality, those are the things we talk about uh, in terms of temperament. We should mention this is a relatively new concept. Um, Chess and Thomas, pediatricians, who I think were at NYU, founded, they came up with this idea. They actually had three initial categorizations. If I remember it was easy, difficult, and slow to warm up. But all of these things were sort of, as you say, the default mode, the way you would respond in the absence of kind of other things making you respond a different way. So you can have a difficult kid, which is still normal, but maybe a little bit grumpier, a little bit so, lower frustration so now, tolerance. As, as I remember the Chessons Thomas studies, they described these as objective, behavioral, observable qualities of kids. So some kids are more active than others. And like you said, rhythmicity, some kids go to bed the same time every night. And some kids are slow to warm up. And some kids are very adaptable. And some kids have persistence or are very distractible. So that's the kind of thing that you're that you're talking about? Exactly. Now, wait a second. Are we programmed? I mean, are we like computer programs? Is this our default? I mean, is this hardwired and, you know, like predestined because of the way our brain is wired? Well, a component of it is. 
So we are pre-wired towards predispositions, towards vulnerabilities. But genetics isn't the whole story. There's also an environment that we interact with which then shapes those traits. So it's not... You, you, you don't want to go to the extreme that everything has been predetermined, but our basic inclinations are somewhat. And you can demonstrate in a very young child, an infant, for example, you expose them to some new situation, unfamiliar, whether it be as simple as a sound or a setting. If the very first reaction is to be upset by this, scared by this, that basic first reaction pretty much persists throughout your life. Now, that doesn't necessarily work against you. As you grow up and you interact with the environment and you are parented, you can learn how to make the most of those first impulses. You know, this reminds me of a, a famous story I heard of um, when the first lunar landing module w was landing and they were monitoring the vital signs of uh, Buzz Aldrich and of Lee Armstrong. And Armstrong's pulse and heart rate went down and Aldrich's pulse and heart rate went up. They performed equally well, as we know. I mean, that's how the story goes. Yet they were wired amazingly differently, but were able to accomplish at an incredibly high you know, level of excellence the same task. So what you're saying is that despite being kind of wired in these different ways, there's all this environment that can come into play that can help you to learn where to compensate if you need it and also how to sort of improve the strengths that you have. Absolutely. Well, let me, let me use another analogy that I mentioned in a previous podcast, and that is, so we're all born with a hand, and it's like playing poker. You mean a hand of cards, a hand not of cards. like hands, hands. Well, but, we're yeah. born with hands, sometimes, and usually two. Uh, but if, you, if we're looking at a, a game of cards like poker, we're dealt a hand, and you, if you're a, a, a really great poker player and you get a pretty – mediocre or difficult hand, you can knock it out of the park. And sometimes if you're not a great poker player or you don't play the game very well and you're dealt a wonderful hand, you can totally blow it. So are you telling us that it's kind of like poker? You know, you're, you're given something to start with and then there are a lot of things that come into play that can actually help you learn to work with what you've got? Exactly. Help or harm. So the environment is constantly interacting with our genes, with that hand that we're dealt in the first place. And, and people kind of think of them as two separate things, nature versus nurture, or genes versus the environment. But really, they're always working simultaneously. In some ways, our predispositions affect the environment. So a particularly irritable child may affect the environment that that child is growing up in such a way that the family or the surroundings become more irritable back to the infant, which only reinforces that irritability. And you have this sort of perpetuation, whereas that same irritable child in another environment that responds to the child much more calmly, that can temper that basic inclination. Now, you've used the word genes a number of times. And just to clarify things, so the genetic the genes that we're born with, the genetic predispositions, are really just kind of possibilities. In other words, they're not fixed, right? Not at all. They more predict what we can't do and say nothing about what we will so do. So genes don't mean you're going to get X disease or you're going to get X kind of a trait definitely. It's it's a possibility or a probability. Yeah, I was going to say, like when you were saying <clears throat> we're born in this way, I was thinking – 
My genes are such that, this may come as a surprise to everybody, I will never dunk a basketball. That will never happen in my life on a regulation size. Wait, how tall are you, Steve? I am 5'6". Well, so is Spud Webb. Spud Webb has different genes than me. That's the point. <laughs> so Spud Webb and I are both carbon-based life forms, but beyond that, it's, it's pretty different. He's an amazing basketball player, and I love to watch him, and that's where it ends. But it doesn't say that I can't accomplish other things. I might develop an outside shot. You know, we want to stick with these, these sort yeah, of analogies. Sure. So, so we're all child shrinks here. That, that's what we do. So if a parent comes to us and says, I have a particularly irritable child, one who's, who's temperamentally irritable, let's say they use that term, or we give them that term, what advice do we give them? What do we say? Well, uh, it, it depends on if we can observe the pattern to that irritability. So why don't we use the example of children whose irritability seems to come from a place of fear, of some basic timidity. Um, so if you have a child who responds fearfully and becomes very irritable in that setting, you would want to support that. You would really want to stack the odds in that child's favor. You would say, this is a child that I want to sort of engineer situations for where they face their fears, but then I'm setting them up for success, as opposed to just plummeting them into a situation that so quickly overwhelms them that they experience failure and are less likely to keep trying to push themselves. So you gradually, gradually phase them into facing their fears rather than flooding them. Exactly. Now, at the other extreme, we might have a child who is pretty clearly fearless from day one. Well, that's not necessarily great either. So with that child, we might spend more of our attention towards a really very cautious, repeated instruction, constantly reminding this child of some of the risks that they're not either old enough to understand or aware of. We're constantly pulling back a little bit on the reins. Now, one of the things this assumes is that parents actually know their children, right? So in other words... We've got to know that the child is shy, is timid, is fearless, is aggressive. How do parents know from early on the kinds of traits of their children? What can they what can they observe to actually kind of get to know their children and understand what what their kid needs to be an optimal performer in society? Well, observation is is exactly what is key. I mean, there's a little Jane Goodall in all of us. And Parents have to study their children. I mean, you don't have to be with a clipboard taking notes, um, but but you do have to watch your children a lot and see if you can identify patterns because pattern recognition is one of the greatest tools of parenting. When, and, and people aren't even aware of how well they know their children, but there are certain situations, whether it be a certain restaurant, a, a certain activity that parents start to, their stomach just drops. They know they're about to face this with this particular child and it's going to be a whole, a whole ordeal, let's say. That's something they, they have learned an element of their child's temperament. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting point because we also face parents every now and then, deal with parents, try to help parents who feel that they suddenly don't know their child. And often that's a key to us that there's something kind of verging towards the psychiatric syndrome in that it means child. that something in their child changes yeah. or they're first they're first aware of something so that's the child different. may have been outgoing in that kind of fearless category and now is say around age 14 15 when these kinds of things I tend see. to have their onset yeah. pull back a little uh -huh. bit um, or a lot 
and the parents didn't know that they knew their child as well as they did until they see their child veering. So what we're looking for is kind of common patterns and strengths and weaknesses and, and and at the same time, what might change and what the change is all about. Yes. And for those parents whose children they have a biologic relationship to where they share genes, well, they also have a way of cheating because they have half of that programming inside of themselves. And parents can, I say, cheat by using themselves as references to some extent because it is likely, no matter what their children say, that their children are fairly similar to them. Now, the one caveat to that is is when we cheat, we can't use ourselves as grown adults. What is most helpful is to try to remember how we responded to situations when we were that age because there's a whole other element of development. So the things that we know in our attitudes and reactions now may be wisdom that we can impart on our children. But when we're trying to understand our children, what we really have to try to do is remember what it was like for us at that age. That's such good advice. You know, for the record, David, you said earlier that we need not use a clipboard and take notes. When my wife, who is a scientist, and myself, who's not a scientist but a clinician, had our first child, we were so anxious that we did have a clipboard. I'm kind of embarrassed to say that. We had a clipboard. We had graphs. <laughs> nothing wrong with a clipboard. We had, well, we just felt like dorks. We felt like anthropologists or a little Jane Goodall. Have you looked back child. at your clipboard we now? Have. We have. saved and, the clipboard. We know when she pooped crystal and when she didn't. We know when she climbed too high but and did she you, didn't. But, but did you actually see traits back then yeah. that you actually yeah, can no, follow when, when right now? Yeah, no, said that, yeah. It's, I mean, they were clear right then. And then the flip side is my youngest daughter was three-quarters of the way up the pine tree in our front yard this morning, and I thought, oh, my God, does she not know that she will break her head when she falls down? Then I realized I was three-quarters of the pine tree when I was that age, so I had to help her to remember that it's a little bit dangerous to climb up. Not, She said, hey, I have my bike helmet on, Dad. I'm like, that's really not enough. <laughs> so you know what's so interesting about this? When I teach uh, residents and medical students about identity and about personality, I say, you know, aren't you the same person in some way when you were 3, 5, 15, 20, 25, 30. And sometimes there's a long pause and they think back and they, and I said, because you've gone through so many different changes. You know, you can think differently and, you know, your body's changed. Most of the time they can find common threads that are continuous through the lifespan and what's actually changed. Is, is, that, is that true, David? Absolutely. I mean, this is one of the proofs of temperament is that there are certain qualities that I think most parents can identify in their adult children that have just always been there. And there are more scientific ways that we understand this too. I mean, nature delights us with this special way of teaching us these, which is twins. Identical twins are more alike in their temperament and personality than fraternal twins because identical twins share their genes. Both are siblings born at the same time, raised in the same family, in the same environment. They go through life together, but you still can't find that two fraternal twins are as similar in their personality structure as identical. Yeah, I, I got to tell the story before we wrap up. Before I did this, I was a high school English teacher, and I taught ninth grade and eleventh grade. And in two of my ninth grade classes were identical twins. One was in one class, one was in the other. 
the opening assignment was tell me something about yourself. And each of them wrote, please don't think of me as an identical twin. So they wrote the identical <laughs> thing, but they both asked to not be thought of as identical twins, which was, I, I thought sort well, of Well, they wonderful. needed separate identities. No, they did. So one became really good at English. One became really good at math, despite being wired yeah. exactly the same. Well, you know I, I, guess, I guess some of the take-home message here uh, as we wrap up is, is that – while there's continuity over time and certain things do stay the same, there's always a possibility for change toward health, towards resilience, towards doing things better that we can all work on with our kids. Absolutely. And if I think back to before I began this training under you, um, <laughs> you know, but uh, despite all the training I already had and that I was about to undertake, I did what any grown scientist would do. I, I asked my mother what, what she thought <laughs> would be the first principle. And, and it still stays with me. And, you know, I said, how do you boil it all down to do right by children? And my mother's not a psychiatrist, but she said, I, I think the best way to put it is your job is to make children comfortable in their own skin. And it was all kind of embedded in there. They do come with their own skin. And if we can make them comfortable in it, we will optimize what they will be. I mean, I have turned it into, um, you know, maybe a slightly more masculine version, but you've got to teach them to love the model they drive. I mean, every car can get you there. Um, it might change in how quickly you get there, but children have to grow up really excited to drive the model that they have. And sometimes you have to engineer things a little bit to make sure that that happens. Well, I think your mother has a lot of wisdom, and I can see why you've come to be so wise yourself. So thanks for listening, everybody. If, if you have any questions or comments, you can read the blog that will accompany this and uh, send us your comments. I'm Gene Bereson. Um, before I say I'm Steve Schlossman, I'm going to say that when I asked my mom, she just said, I'm so proud you're a doctor. That was all she said. <laughs> but I, and, and I'm proud, too. And so it's the same kind of thing. She got me comfortable in my skin. I'm Steve Schlossman. Thanks very much. Thanks very much.